Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Church, I'm Adam Seath, lead pastor here at Orange, and I am thankful that you have chosen to spend this time with us, whether you are joining us here in person or those that are worshiping with us online. I invite you now to turn with me in your bulletin for the prayer for illumination, and the words will also be found up on the screen. Let us pray. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. We have two scripture lessons this morning. First, from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, through chapter 2, verse 3. And then we're going to turn over to Psalm 19 and read verses 1 through 6. I invite you to turn with me in your own Bible. You can find it in the Pew Bible there in front of you on page, first of all, on page 1 and 2 for the first reading, and then page 472 for the second. Hear now these words from Genesis. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Then the heavens and the earth were finished, and their multitude, all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Because on it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. Our second reading, once again, is from Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech nor are their words. Their voice is not heard, and yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, 
and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me once again in a time of prayer. God of grace and God of mercy, I give thanks for the opportunity we have today to come together, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be able to take this moment when there are so many other places that we could be, so many other things we could do. But instead, we press pause on the busyness of life to draw close to you. And so now in this moment, Lord, let us be fully devoted to you. Let us be fully focused on you. Remove from us any other thoughts, any other distractions so that we might truly connect with you today. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Each week, you never know what to exactly expect when we come together for worship. God shows up and surprises us sometimes. And this morning, God surprised me when I got here because at our nine o'clock service, we have a volunteer within the church that occasionally will join the praise band as they're up on stage and this volunteer sign language does American sign language for all of the songs that are sung. And even though I don't know any of the signs that she is doing, just watching the hand motions and hearing the words that are being sung, I can piece it together. And she serves with such joy. She just radiates that joy as she's doing that. It's a beautiful thing to witness. If you've not seen it, I invite you to go back and look at that video from 9 o'clock's worship service and be able to see Amy Rodriguez as she shares that gift with us. And you know, the thing is, I think it's beautiful the way she is talking with her hands and I'm one of those people, as I'm demonstrating right now, that I talk with my hands, some would say too much, but we all communicate with our hands at times. And I find it fascinating that even so much we communicate with hand gestures that on our phones, when we send a text message, you can now text message an emoji of certain things. For example, if you sent me a text message and I was to reply with this, what does that mean? This is participatory. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's right. If I gave that. Uh, how about if I sent you a text message with this symbol, what would this be? Peace. Hopefully peace, but it could be I'll take two. Um, could mean victory. Uh, it, that one could be a little bit more confusing. What about if I sent a text message and it had this symbol? Anybody know this one? I love you. That's right. That's right. We, we know we are able to communicate in such ways. Uh, what about if I have hands like this? What does that mean? Stop. Yeah, stop. <laughs> Somebody said high five. <laughs> that could be that. But uh, Or what if I even did something a little bit different? Instead of just doing this, what if I uh, sent a message that showed me doing this or something like this? What is that? 
Waving, hello, that's right. We, we are familiar with the communication. And, and it's funny, I bet, I bet some of you were watching football yesterday. And it's funny the way fans of different teams have taken on different hand motions to symbolize their team. I, the team here in Chapel Hill, help me do the Ramsey, the Ram. Is it like that? I, some of y'all have seen it. I can't, I see that back there, yeah. Uh, I have a son that went to NC State, and so the Wolfpack, they do that. I have another son that went to ECU, uh, and so that, I think theirs is the funniest. Yeah, the arr, the hook, uh, like a pirate. You know, we, we are familiar with these symbols, these hand gestures, these motions that mean something. And, and we see them, and we know that they mean something more than just, just what it appears. It has a deeper meaning. It's a, a symbol. And we as a church, as people of faith, we recognize that symbols may mean something, may mean one thing, but they have such a deeper meaning. For example, here in the church, we have the symbol of the cross. And to pardon the phrase from the old hymn, the symbol is a symbol of suffering and shame. But for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we recognize the cross not as a symbol of suffering and shame anymore. We see the cross as a symbol of victory, that Jesus didn't stay on that cross we see that as a symbol of victory. And we have many other symbols that we have within the church that communicate something to us. For example, right here, I've got the baptismal font, and that speaks volumes just simply about baptism. We have other symbols that we in the church embrace and are reminded of. For example, if I was to have a picture of fire, what would that symbolize? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. What if I had uh, a picture of uh, bread and juice? What would that symbolize? Holy Communion, which has an even more deep meaning of the body and blood of Christ. What if we were to have a, a symbol, an image of, of, of water? We're reminded of baptism. What if it was a fish? What would that be? Well, it some have said that it could be a reminder of the, the loaves and fish, but also it's a symbol of Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. We're familiar and can understand how symbols mean something and go much deeper, but the original meaning of the word symbol is something different than that. We are used to using the word symbol as meaning something that stands for or suggests something else by reason of relationship association, convention, or accidental resemblance. So we're used to that definition of symbol, that it, it stands for something else or suggests something else by uh, either its relationship, its association, convention, or accidental resemblance. But the original meaning of the word symbol is something different, and it's not one that we often use. In fact, if you go home and look, if you still have a dictionary other than the electronic version, if you go into Merriam-Webster's dictionary and you'll see the very first meaning of the word symbol is something different. The very first meaning of the word symbol is an authoritative summary of faith or doctrine. Symbol, meaning an authoritative summary of faith or doctrine. Also, creed. Creed. Creed comes to us from the Latin which, uh, of credo, which means I believe. I believe. So the symbol being an authoritative summary of faith, I believe. We recognize that that symbol has deep meaning. 
And as we have embraced all of these different symbols of the faith throughout our history, throughout the scriptures and throughout our tradition, there have been many symbols or authoritative authoritative statements of our faith. One of the very earliest symbols that we have or, or creeds that we have was just a very simple, Jesus is Lord. Say that with me. Let's participate. Jesus is Lord. Just for us in English, three words. What was two words originally, but for us is three words. Jesus is Lord. This was simply a statement of faith. We are stating that we have faith. We understand that Jesus is Lord. We see this actually is in Scripture, that this is being used as a simple statement of faith, a creed, a a symbol. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul writes, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, quote, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord is one of those first statements of faith. One of those first creeds, one of those first symbols. And here we have those two times that Paul cites those earliest statements of faith. We have another statement of faith, another symbol that has more than just a couple of words or three. It's one that has five words. And that symbol of faith is from the word ichthus, which also is translated to meaning fish. And ichthus is actually an acrostic. You know what an acrostic is where you have one word where every letter in that word means something? It's sort of as a memory tool. Kind of like when I was a teenager, I had a t-shirt that said frog. Do you know what frog stands for in the church? I got it at a vacation Bible school camp or something. Fully rely on God. So I had a frog t-shirt. My kids, my friends would ribbit me about it. Um, Sorry. These acrostics, it's simply a way of remembering something. Ichthus, when you take the letters of the word ichthus in Greek, it means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That was a statement of faith. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And so I bet if we were to go out into the parking lot, I bet on more than one vehicle out here, we probably would see a sign of the fish, do you think? And I mean the sign of the fish, not the one with the legs on it, but the sign of that, just that simple sign of the fish. It's every time you see that, be reminded that is a statement of faith. One of the first symbols of our scripture, Jesus Christ, God's son, savior. And in fact, Paul we, some scholars think that he actually references that five-word statement, that, that acrostic, when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as he's speaking to the church of Corinth, so many within the church of Corinth have been speaking in tongues, and it's become caused quite the chaos and confusion. And so Paul is speaking about that, and he writes these words, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Some scholars believe that the five words that he's referencing here would have been from that first early symbol, that creed, ichthus, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's a bold statement of faith. 
Now, over time, in the early church history, there were so many controversies about what the church, what followers of Jesus Christ would believe. I mean, it took years for it to be finally resolved exactly what books would be contained as our holy scriptures. There was much debate and argument about this. And I'm almost envious of Justin Robbins, who's preached for us last week. He's a student at Duke Divinity School, and if you didn't pick up on it, he happens to be Corey's nephew. But he, he is taking this opportunity once again to go back into school as he's in school, and he's learning so much. And I, I would almost like to trade places with him and sit through church history once again. It's fascinating to really study and learn about church history because we argued, our, our, those that came before us argued over so many things about understanding fully who is Jesus Christ. Is he fully human? Is he fully divine? Is he that? Together, the concept of the Trinity, all of these things. There are so many things that we take as normal understanding now, but had to be developed over the years. And so early t- church history tells us about many of the controversies. And so, People began to gather. People began to work together to try to determine authoritative statements of our faith. And what we saw beginning to be developed particularly was when a candidate was to come to be baptized. When a candidate would come to be baptized, they would be prepared. They would have been trained. They would have been studying. They had been memorizing things. And they were going to become, when they came up to be baptized, they would be asked three Very specific questions. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in God the Son? And I'm guessing you can probably guess that third one. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And each one of those questions had a very specific response that they were to reply with. And ultimately, those replies became what became known as the Roman symbol. Remember, symbol meaning more than just Uh, association with something or resembling something, symbol meaning an authoritative summary of faith. And the words of those responses ultimately became known as what you and I know as the Apostles' Creed. Now, it's funny that somewhere around 400, 500 AD, somebody developed the legend that they, they were trying to understand how we have the wording that we have as the Apostles' Creed. And so someone gave the idea that after the day of Pentecost, all of the apostles came together. And they came together and each one wanted to offer something. Before they spread out all across to be able to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, they came together and each one offered a statement. I believe in God the Father. Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then someone else said, well, I think we should say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And so this this legend that had been passed around was that all of the disciples came together to share in the making of this Apostles' Creed. There's not a scholar around that believes that that's actually the way that that transpired. We recognize that it came forward because people coming together to address heresies, to address controversies, to address those false teachings that were out there. So they developed this creed, this response, so that people could fully articulate exactly what it was that they believed. This symbol, this symbol representing this concise summary of our faith. And so I want to invite you. I I know you might have thought I skipped it in the bulletin. No, I just decided I wanted it to be a part of the sermon. 
we're going to, let, let's say this together, the Apostles' Creed together, because we're going to spend the next few weeks going through the Apostles' Creed and trying to really look at this orthodox teaching that we continue to hold to and cling to. I believe we're going to have the words on the screen, but it, it's also in your hymnal on page 881. So, and some of you have it memorized by heart anyway. So let's say this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God. I'm the judge, the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This, this symbol, this summary of our faith. There may be parts that we don't really understand. And sometimes we say things so much out of habit that we forget the actual meaning. And so we're going to take some time to sort of break it down and to try to walk our way through this, this incredible statement of faith. So let's take that first part. I believe. I believe. You know, you really can't live without having some kind of faith or belief. You really cannot live without having some kind of faith or belief. I mean, everyone believes in something. Not everything in life is certain. There are elements every day that demonstrate a belief or a faith. For example, how many times do you go to a light switch when the power is off and still flip it? It's, we have this belief because we have been formed out of habit that when we flip that light switch, the lights are going to come on. Even when the power is off, even though I consciously know that the power is off, I still will find myself going to that, that switch more than once to flip that switch because I have been, it's become such a part of who I am that I know when I flip that switch, I believe that lights are going to come on. We live a life of belief. I mean, you demonstrated belief today when you came, when you got in your car to come this way. You believed that the car on the other side of the road was going to stay on the other side of the road and not come over into your side. We believe that. We have faith that it's going to happen even though sometimes it doesn't, we still believe. We have that belief that is ingrained within us. We are people of faith. All people are people of faith. We may not know what we believe, but we believe something. Even if we say, I don't believe, you still believe that. We, by our nature, are people that have faith. People that believe. I believe but then we continue on. I believe in God. This is the starting point of our faith. I believe in God. Either there is a God or there isn't. Throughout history, though, we see that human, humankind is religious. We are creating our own understandings of what that is. We know that there's something bigger than us. Even if we can't quite comprehend what it is, we know that there's something. When I look at the images that have come across the news the past few uh, weeks from the James Webb Telescope, 
You see these images of galaxies so far away and so expansive. And it blows my mind. I see that and I think, there's no way I can grasp how big this is. There's no way I can understand. There is something bigger than me. That's that understanding of, I believe in God. It's beginning to develop that understanding that there's something bigger than us. I mean, I'm reminded about how uh, 20-some years ago, I was in the delivery room with my wife, and I was so tired. I mean, having a baby is exhausting. And I was having to inform her of everything that was taking place because I I wanted to make sure she knew. And so I would be watching the monitor and I'd tell her, it looks like you're getting ready to have another contraction. I thought it was important so that she was aware that that was getting ready to happen. And so I was coaching her along the way. And when that, my sons, when they first came forth, I saw those boys and I heard that cry. And I saw those blue eyes looking at me. If I didn't know before, I knew then there's something bigger than me. There's something so much bigger than me. I could see it. I knew that there is something bigger than me. And the way that I understand that something bigger than me is I believe in God. I believe in God who is the maker of heaven and earth. And so I knew when we start to begin to experience that understanding, I believe, yes, we're people of belief. I believe in God. When we believe that there's something bigger than us, something beyond us. I believe in God, the Father. See, this is the part where God begins to get really personal. I believe in God, the Father. When When we say that statement, I believe in God, the Father, I don't believe that we're actually making some kind of a a gender statement. I believe we're declaring that God is the creator, sustainer God. And he is in a personal, seeking to be in that personal relationship with us. I mean, God revealed God's self as father. Right? Seeking this desire to be in this relationship with us. I mean, Jesus refers to God as father a hundred times in the gospel of John alone. I believe that this understanding of God the Father is that God looks upon us as his children and he's seeking to be in that constant relationship with us. And that relationship that God provides for us is that God's going to provide. provide. He's going to meet us. God's going to sustain us. God's going to pour out guidance for us. He's going to offer his presence, his peace. I believe that's my understanding of God as one that wants to be in that relationship with us. And I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Uh, this, this is going beyond just that personal relationship. This is where God is almighty. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, always with us. There's nothing we can do to escape him. He is eternal. And that God is the almighty God is the one that is wanting to be in that relationship with you. It is that God that is seeking you out to be in that relationship. And that blows my mind sometimes to think that one that is so much further away, so much higher above, his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. And yet God still wants to be in that relationship with me. God still seeks that relationship for me. You know, I I think about it in this kind of context. A few years ago, I had a chance to be a part of an event where I was helping to be a part of some worship, and and our bishop 
was also going to be a part of that service. Now, in the Methodist church, bishop, that's kind of a big deal. They oversee an entire area of churches, all the pastors, and our bishop was going to be a part of that. And the bishop comes to me. I mean, the, the stature of this person as, as relative to little old me coming to me and asking me a question about what they are supposed to do. And I thought, I'm telling the bishop what to do. It felt out of order. But the bishop was seeking my input. The bishop was seeking that participation, seeking to be in that relationship in that time of worship. And in that same way, I look at it, that God comes to us and he's seeking us out, not just because of what God's going to do for us, but it's because of the way that God has made us and God has formed us. He is the God Almighty who wants to be in relationship with us so that we might be the embodiment of God in the world today so that others might come to know and be in that same relationship with him. God is Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You know, when I read the scriptures, when I, especially those first few chapters of Genesis, we see how there's the first creation story, the, which is the one we read the tail end of that today. And in that creation story, it tells how God did this on this day and he saw it was good and God uh, rested. The next day, God did something else and God saw that it was good and then God rested. And then it was the next day. And we get to the last day after God has created humankind in God's own image, male and female, he created them in God's own image. And then God rested. But then the very next chapter, in chapter 2 of Genesis, we get a little different creation story. And things are created in a little bit different order, in a different way. For example, instead of waiting to day 6 to create Adam and Eve in the, the second creation story, Adam is created early on. And then God begins to make other animals seeking to find a suitable companion. And as God brings these animals to Adam, none of them are a suitable companion. So you remember the story, God puts Adam to sleep, he takes the rib, he creates and fashions woman to be a suitable companion. It's a different order, it's a it's sort of different way the story is told. And I wonder at times, why would we have those two different confusing stories? And in many ways, I think it's because I don't know how God did it. I just know God did. I just know God did. I believe God spoke and it happened. How God did it, I don't know. And I think if it was important for us to know exactly how it happened, it would not have those two conflicting stories. But instead, I believe the, the core of both is that God is the agent that did it. God is the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen, all the heavens and below. I believe that God is the one. He is God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And as we go through our lives, we may find ourselves facing times of uncertainty, facing times that we're not sure that we understand, not facing times that we're not even sure what we believe. I'm not even sure that I believe. Or maybe there are times that we begin to wonder, could there really be a God that would allow something like this to happen? One of the things that maybe that we're going through in our own personal lives, and maybe we begin to question, is there really such a God that would be involved? Maybe we even question that God that would seek to be in a relationship with us, even though we're told how God wanted to be in a relationship so much with us that he was willing to send his son to pay a price that we ourselves could never pay. We may be finding ourselves questioning. Today, I want to invite you back to this symbol, this faith, this statement of faith, and that we can be people of belief, 
that we can be people that recognize that we believe in all these other things in the world, we can be people of belief. That we can be people of belief in God, recognizing that there is something above and beyond so much bigger than us. A God that is Father, a God that seeks to be in that relationship with each one of you and that there's nothing that God would ever do, not do, to make sure that you knew the love that God has for you. There's nothing that could separate you from that love. God, and on top of that, not only is God Father, God is Almighty. There's nothing that we can't take to God. For God is the maker of heaven and earth. I believe. And I believe that the way that we respond to who God is, is that we, our lives could be a living symbol representing the God who we believe. This morning, I invite you to continue to be a people of faith who believe. Let us pray. Oh God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I give thanks for the way that we're able to experience that relationship with you. The way that you bring people alongside us to come to know you even more. Those that come alongside us to help us to learn and understand more of how we are to respond. That our life would be more than just a statement of faith, but our life would be a symbol of the faith which, which we cling to. And so today, Lord, for any that are questioning, for any that are still discerning, may your Holy Spirit guide us taking these first steps, being people who believe that we believe that there is something bigger than us, something much further beyond us. That, that something that is so much further beyond us is a God who is seeking to be in that relationship with us, in spite of us. That God wants to be that creator sustainer within us. And there is nothing that can stop that God. That God is all powerful. For you are the maker of heaven and earth. And so today, may we stand boldly on this symbol from our tradition. And may we truly live a life demonstrating that we believe. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.